Welcome. Good to see everybody here this morning. This is a last series on a four-part series called Why is the Resurrection So Important? We're trying to answer that question. And we're looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, just one chapter in the Bible, to get an answer to that question of why it is so important. So today is the last message of that four-week series. And we're going to look at the last part of the passage um, in closure. So let's just look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 16 through 57. And I pulled some verses out. You'll see it um, you'll see it on your bulletin or on your notes. Number 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so, you, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then you, faith is futile." and you are still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. So will it be in the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable will be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it will be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and it will be raised in power. It is sown natural body, but it will be raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Death is put up in victory, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Number one, why is the resurrection so important? The resurrection is so important because it is the only thing that has the power to save you. In Christ's life, we see a lot of different events, huge events, starting from the virgin birth. Christ left heaven and came to earth as a man. After he came to earth as a man, he lived a perfect life, never sinning once whatsoever. Big event, second big event, third big event. What did he do? He died on the cross. When he went to the cross, he took all my sin and he placed it on his shoulders. And when my sin was on his shoulders, the father turned his head. And when the father turned his head, all the weight, all the pain, all the wrath of sin was on him. And what happened after that? He died and went to the grave. So you look at these large events, and you look at these large events... You say, Jesus was an absolute amazing man, an absolute amazing God. But nothing would have ever come into completion if the resurrection never happened. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. The resurrection, what it did, is it put everything that Christ did valuable. Everything that Christ did true. Everything that Christ did with strength. Everything was completed as a result of the resurrection. And if there was no resurrection, then nothing would be completed. And if nothing was completed, according to this passage, I'm lost. I'm dead in my sin. See what God is trying is communicating is that it's all about him. Yes, he did a work. But if he's not alive, then it's not done. When he became alive in the resurrection, when he came alive in the resurrection, he said, it is done, it is completed, and everything that has ever happened that I did is now yours, and salvation can be yours. Just this one thing, the resurrection. If it happens, we can be saved. If it does not happen, we cannot be saved. What do you mean, be saved? Number two, the resurrection takes you away, takes you from being a dust man that dies to a heaven man that lives. 
So what happens is the resurrection does something for you. What does it do for you? From a dust man that dies to a heaven man that lives? What's that talking about? You guys watching Jeopardy? We have one guy that uh, has answered all the questions. I think he's up to $1.6 million right now in his winnings. Well, I have a question that I'd love to ask him that I wonder if he'd get the right answer to. Uh, the question would be, according to the Bible, how many men have lived on this earth? How many men? And uh, what is the answer? Do you know the answer? You counted the answer? He's like, I have no answer. But do you know what the answer is according to the Bible? There's only two. Just two men. First Corinthians 15. The first man was of the dust of the earth. And then it goes to number two. The second man was from heaven. Two different men walked on this earth. The first one is from the dust, which we know is from Adam. And then there's another one that came from heaven. What took place at the virgin birth? Christ came down, became man. But when he became man, the whole, uh, Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's coming from heaven. And where did Adam come from? He came from the dust of the earth. So there's two different men in two different categories. And we get to choose what one we want to live under. We get to choose which one we want to embrace. I want to choose a dust man. I want to choose the heaven man because every single thing in our life is represented after the other. So asking the question, which one do you choose? Well, what's represented after the other? Let's continue the verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 21. For since death came through one man, this is talking about Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through one man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. See what the connection is? We came from the dust, we'll go through, back to the dust because Adam sinned and you will die. But there is a resurrection from this heavenly man. And this resurrection will do what? It will make you alive. The thing that I don't understand is I don't understand a lot of somber religious activities. Um, many churches and, and uh, uh, really look at ch- um, going to God as a somber, uh, a somber thing, and we get that through the Old Testament. Because when we walk into the Old Testament, we have sin on our shoulders, and we walk into the, the Holy of Holies, and when we're making all these sacrifices, there's a lot of somber activity that has taken place because there has to be a price for our sin. But where we're at right now in the New Covenant is that there is a death. And there is a brokenness in us. And there is a somberness. And there is a shattering that takes place in us. But on the other side, there's something else that happened according to this verse. You know what it is? It's called the resurrection. And what does the resurrection do? The resurrection makes you alive. The resurrection makes you alive. So should there be somber or should there be joy? Should there be singing? When we walk into the house and we start singing what are we singing about? We're singing about there's not a dead God that paid the price for our sin, but there's a dead God who paid the price for our sin who became alive through the resurrection. And because of that, I can be alive. Now we look at Adam, all die. We look at him, all live. Which one do I want to choose? Which one am I going to live under? First Corinthians 15. Just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. What does it mean, born the likeness of an earthly man? Well, we know what this world is like. We know what our situations are like. We know what this happened to us. Look back at our past. Look back at our history. How many have grown up from a, an absent father? Where's my father? Where's my mother? Alcoholic father. Abusive mother. This is our history. Why do we go through that? 
Because we're living, what, under the likeness of an earthly man who has sinned, and as a result of the earthly man that sinned, we have this weight, a weight of a father or a mother that might not even have been present, a weight of sin which can come into bitterness and rage and hate and anger and addiction, living under Adam, looking on this side. All these things are just happening to us, and we can describe it. We can explain it. Why? Because it's our daily life and the weight of our daily life. The loneliness, the fear, the depression, all of this comes from who? comes from the bloodline of Adam. But here, Christ says, you can live under a different father. You can live under a different man. And this man does not bring death. This man is actually going to bring life in every situation. And if we choose to live under the man who brings death, what's it going to bring? It's going to bring a lot of discouragement, a lot of hate, a lot of anger, a lot of pain. But if we live under the man from heaven, he came for the purpose to die and rise, what should we have? We should have life, yes, eternally, but even life here on this earth. How should we live? How should we be in the likeness of him? Well, that's where we get, you know, Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Those are not commands. They're not saying you should have love, you should have faith, you should have kindness, you should have peace, you should have rest. Those are not commands. What those are, those are fruits. So what happens, I look at the resurrection, I embrace the resurrection of Christ, I'm living under the heavenly man, and as a result of doing that, what it's going to do to my heart? It's going to make it alive. It's going to make it exciting. It's going to make it adventurous. It's going to make me living underneath a king of kings and lord of lords. And as all these things come on me in this world, as all these things from Adam come on me in this world, I can lift my chin up and say, well, I live under this heavenly man. Therefore, I will bear the likeness of this man from heaven in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness is going to come out as a result. How else does the resurrection save you? Number three, the resurrection saves you by making your body imperishable, glorious, powerful, and spiritual after it dies. Pastor D talks about heaven quite a bit, and uh, Pastor D has three points when he talks about heaven. The first point is, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. The next point is, I'm going to have a new body. And the third point is, I'm going to have hair. (laughs) I think he says that every single time. I wonder if he has issues with his hair. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to have a new body, a body with hair. Let's look at his theology, see if he's correct. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It will be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It will be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and it will be raised in power. It will be sown in a natural body, and it will be raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there will also be a spiritual body. After we were raised from the dead, this is what we're going to look like. Let's look at this. Sown perishable, but raised imperishable. Now, if you go to the Greek text, you know what this actually says? It says, sown without hair and raised with hair. <laughs> That's where D gets it. No, it's, it, he's right. His theology is correct. Sown perishable, be raised imperishable. What happens when we are raised from the dead? We're not going to be less physical. We're going to be even more physical. We're not going to be less solid. We're going to be more solid. We're not going to be less material. We're going to be even more material. We're going to be more alive. I'll give you an example. We have five senses. What are they? Touch, taste, smell, sight, and hearing. On Thursday, 
I dropped my glasses on the floor, and as soon as I dropped them, I went to pick them up and rolled my chair right over top of them, and I smashed them. Well, those are my reading glasses. I'm like, i got to preach a sermon. i got to continue study for a sermon. I need those glasses. I take them down to the eye doctor, and the eye doctor said, well, we've got to order you a new pair, and they won't be in until Monday. I said, they better be in Monday because I'm going to Israel on Tuesday, and I need my glasses. They said, don't worry, we'll, we'll take care of it. But you should have sympathy on me since Thursday. I've been only working with five or four and a half senses. Why? Because half my sense got taken away. Well, you shouldn't feel too sorry for me because D only works with three and a half senses. <laughs> he, he, uh, he gets all excited about his, uh, his hearing aids. He says, you know, I could play Bluetooth with my hearing aids. That, you know, it cost him quite a bit of money. And he's all happy about those. But I said, you can't claim that as a sense. You know, that's a sense that is faded. That's a sense that is wrong. Three and a half senses. Well, we have Gordon Hilton. He'll meet you at the door every time. I mean, he's older than dirt. He's only got about two senses that he's working off of. Did you know that that's what takes place? When you get older and older and older and older, you lose the taste, you lose your sight, you lose your hearing. And what do we do? We reminisce. When I was 20, oh boy, when I was 20. But this is what's going to happen. We are sown perishable, but when we are raised, we won't be imperishable. In other words, we will go right back to, let's say, when we're 20, and all those senses will then what come completely alive. But I'd even go further than that. Will we have five senses? Or will we have 500 senses? I mean, we are what? Raised imperishable, dying. But we will also be raised. When we are raised, we will be full of what? Imperishable. More senses than we could possibly imagine. Maybe. Possibly. There will be buds that will sprout when we don't even know where they're at. What we do know and what the Scripture teaches is that we will be more alive than we will ever have been when we are resurrected. Love will be more intense when we are in heaven. Joy will be more powerful. Adventure would be more radical. We'll be more alive than we will ever be on this side of earth when we are resurrected again. Martin Luther was asked a question. He goes, if you knew that Jesus Christ was going to come tomorrow, he said, what would you do? Do you know what Martin Luther's comment was? He says, I would plant a tree. He said, why would you plant a tree? People ask, why would you plant a tree? I mean, it's some big event that's taking place. He says, because after the resurrection, everything is going to come to life like you would not believe. And I want to see what happens to that tree. That tree will grow faster than it's ever grown. That tree will dance. That tree will sing. That tree will worship. That tree is just waiting to blossom in the process of this resurrection, waiting to explode in the process of this resurrection. And so is our body in the process of this resurrection sown in dishonor and raised in glory. What does that mean? Inside of every one of us, I just point to myself, Mike Dadera, inside of me there's a, a core, and it's the real me. But alongside me and surrounded me is all this sin that, um, that is there. And the sin can rest into guilt, can rest into fear, can rest into hate, it can rest into just garbage that is there, can rest into lust. So you have the real me as the core, but it's not really absolutely me because why well, i've got this stained nature behind me well we are sown in dishonor underneath adam but we are raised then what into glory when we are raised we are raised from the shell up and all those things just fall right off us and when they fall right off us that one thing the real mike Dadera, is going to stand up right before the king of kings right before the lord of lords and be what i was supposed to be and be what I was meant to be, clean, pure, sinless, 
looking right at the Father. But why is that going to happen? It's going to happen because the resurrection needed to take place before it could happen. And that's why the resurrection is there. And that is why the resurrection is the item that saves us. We are sown in dishonor, but we are raised in complete glory. Our bodies are natural, but yet we'll be raised spiritual. What does this mean? We are going to be more physical, not less. We're going to be more solid, not less. We're going to be more material, not less. But what does it mean that we'll be raised spiritual? That's a good question. I guess we can look and see when Jesus walked on earth after he was raised. He walked through some walls. Uh, But was that his limitation? Is that the only limitations that he had? I can go through walls, or does he have other limitations? For the star away, according to our calculators or according to our microscopes, uh, is 55 million light years away. And, uh, and we probably could find one further, but we just can't view it further because that's all the means we have to find it. So 55 million years away, do we access that one? Do I get to stand on it? Do I get to walk with it? Do I get to work with it? Uh, no, I don't. We don't. But when we're raised, we'll be able to access it. I don't know. Says something like spiritual. It's just fun to think about, good questions to ask. It's going to be something better than we've ever dreamed, ever imagined. Resurrection, how does it save us? The resurrection saves you by taking the sting out of death. I could choose Adam on the line of dying, or I could choose Christ on the lines of living. But if I choose to stay away from Christ, death, death still judges me. And whether we believe in Christ, whether we love Christ, whether we rejected Christ or not, death still judges us. How does it judge us? Have you ever said the words, I can't believe how fast time flies? What are you doing? You're saying the word, oh my goodness, it's going to stop. Oh my goodness, am I getting enough done? You're judging yourself because you know there's going to be an end. Death automatically puts you into judgment. You ever heard words say, my kids are getting so old. Why? Because they're going to be out of the house. I'm moving towards something that is going to end, something that is going to stop. Something is going to quit, and then I start evaluating. Am I doing enough? Am I working enough? We're judging ourselves consistently. But what are we judging ourselves off of? The day that we die. Have you ever heard the words, I wish I felt like I was 20 again? My body judges me. <laughs> and it judges me a lot more when I'm 45 than when I was 20. Well, we know we're going to go. And when we know we're going to go, yes, we're turning to be perishable. We know that. And when we think about that, we're consistently going, am I keeping up on my body? We're consistently judging ourselves in the process of that. People on their dying bed rehash their regrets. I should have served more. I should have given more. I should have spent more time with my family. I should have worked less. I should have been less selfish. I should have sacrificed more for God. We judge ourselves. But why do we judge ourselves? Because someday it's going to be an end and we're going to be in somebody else's hands besides, besides ours. Now we can say, no, we're not going to be in somebody else's hands. There is no God. But those who say there is no God have to use comments that minimize it so much to take it all out. You ever heard the comments that, oh, death is just part of life. It's not that big of a deal. Death is, is natural. You know, that's said many times in our world. It's just natural. It's just a part of life. I mean, if you ever watched Forrest Gump, Forrest Gump's mom said, dying is just a part of living, Forrest. And he responded, I know, mama. And we could look at that and say, oh, dying's not that bad. It's just something that we're going to go through. We can also turn on the Lion King. As we turn on the Lion King, what does it say? Relax. You're just a circle of life. You have a purpose. Death is not that big of a deal. Why did you cry when Simba died? 
Why would you tear it up when it happened? Oh, maybe you didn't tear up. Maybe I teared up. Okay, I won't tell you. I didn't mean to confess that. But why? Death hurts. Death is pain. Death is, what we look at is, is the end. So if that has taken place, what does the Bible talk about death? The Bible says that death is alien to our nature. Death is not the way that it's supposed to be. It says death was not put into our system. Death was not supposed to happen to you. It's alien to our nature, and it should never have been into our being. And when Jesus came to earth, death grieved him. Death made him mad. How do you know that? You ever seen him go to his friend Lazarus? When he started talking to Mary and Martha, he says, where's Lazarus? Lazarus is in his grave. What took place with Jesus? He cried over what? He cried over death. Why? Because death is not natural. Death does bring something that is alien to our nature. And it broke Jesus' heart in death. And then he went to the grave. When he went to the grave, what took place? Something radical happened. But if you can view the emotions that are really in the Greek text in regards to him walking up to the grave of Lazarus, what does he say? Lazarus, come out. There's anger. There's frustration. I'm sick of death. I'm tired of death. Live, Lazarus. I do not want you dead. I want you alive. And what does he do? He raises him from the dead. Is Jesus really broken over death? Is Jesus really angry over death? Yes, but how angry? Angry enough to leave heaven, come to earth as a man, and live a perfect life, and then take death on his shoulders so we would not have to suffer death. Aggressively towards death. Why? Because it is alien to our nature, and Jesus definitely, aggressively responded for the purpose of washing it out and wiping it away. 1 Corinthians 15, death has been swallowed up in victory. Let me tell you what that verse does not say. It does not say that death has been crushed. It does not say that death has been removed. It does not say death has been thrown away. It does not say that death has been stepped on and thrown in the trash, thrown in the garbage. What does that say? It says death has been swallowed up in victory. What does that mean? Swallowed up in victory. Last Friday, my daughters made cookies because we have people that come over often to our house, and, and so she made cookies for them. And, of course, she sets it on the table in front of me. And when she sets it on the table in front of me, she says, don't touch Dad. I mean, it's just a system that always takes place. And I, I look at them and say, yeah, come on. Now, I can do a couple things to them. Uh, so I can resist temptations. I could take them and I could throw them away. And if I throw them away, then I wouldn't have any sort of temptation whatsoever. I can completely get rid of them. Um, I could completely give them to the dog. I could do a whole bunch of things to get them out of my sight, or I can swallow them. (laughs) I can take them. I can eat them and allow them to be a part of me. And in that process of doing it, what's going to happen? I hate to say it, but I I would enjoy them as well. Let's read the passage. Death has been swallowed up in victory. What does that mean? That's what it means. My death is going to be my glory. I swallowed death. I didn't throw it away. I didn't ignore it. I didn't just push it alongside. No, I will take death and I will swallow it. Death doesn't kill you. Death is going to make you better. How can you even say those words? The reason why we can say those words is because there's a mourning at the cross, 
and he went to the grave. And when he went to the grave, there is a brokenness, but on the other side, there is the most beautiful thing the world has ever seen. And do you know what that is? That's the resurrection that made death come alive. I uh, buy two lottery tickets a year. Uh, one lottery ticket cost me $25, the other lottery ticket cost me 10 The $10 lottery ticket is uh, a permit to the Rogue River, and the $25 lottery ticket is a rafting permit to the Grand Canyon. Now, my odds of getting the Grand Canyon permit are very, very slim. Um, last time it took me 18 years to go. Well, this time, five years of applying, we got a permit this year. So I get to go on the Grand Canyon in 2020. Now, I went in 2012, and then I could go August 2020. Let me tell you what's taking place in me right now. Sorry, you just got to bear with me as we talk about rafting. Is I'm reminiscing everything that happened back in 2012, and I'm getting prepared for 2020. Now, let me tell you a little bit what goes on in my mind. Is those are some of the largest runnable rapids in the world, and it is the most beautiful canyon on the planet. And I get to go there a second time. So what happens is I'm getting really, really excited, and my adrenaline is increasing. Why does my adrenaline increase? Because I'll just give you an explanation of rafting a river, is going into a big hole, a big rapid, well, before you get into it, your heart beats fast and very rapid. There's a lot of adrenaline that's pretty intense, but then what happens when you go into the hole, something happens. There's no more intensity. There's just complete relax. Why? Because the whole river just swallows you, takes completely advantage of you. And then after it swallows you, because you have air in your boat, you pop up, hopefully on the right-hand side instead of upside down. But when you pop out, then you have the third emotion come. And what's the third emotion? Third emotion was, that was awesome. And then what happens is that I get my excitement up, I come home and I preach about it, I think about it, I meditate on it, I think it's, it's fun, it's good. What is the stories we tell? The stories we tell are not the consistent low plane, this is what I'm doing in life. We tell the adventurous story, because what is adventurous? Adventurous is the hardships before going into the grave and then exploding outside of the grave. Those are the stories that we told. Why? Those are the stories that carry power. Those are the stories that are interesting. Those are the stories that give you life. What is Christ's story? Christ's story is, I lived on this life in your nature, inside with you guys sitting around, seeing death all around me. This is where I live with you. And then I went to this cross. I went right down to the bottom of the hole. But guess what? There's a celebration that takes place on the key, specifically, of that resurrection. Well, what does this mean for me? This means that my death will actually be my glory in my resurrection. Why? Because I get to share that with him. It also means that my suffering is going to be my glory in my resurrection. Why? Because I get to share the sufferings of the Lord, and I even go to the grave. But then I go to the grave, guess what I get to do? I get to rise with him. What kind of conversations are we going to have in heaven? I can just imagine an angel coming up to me and says, oh, you're Mike Dadera. Oh, you're one of those guys that died. And you're one of those guys that rose again with God, Jesus Christ. Oh, you're one of those human guys that lived on this planet with sin. You lived on this planet with pain. You lived on this planet with garbage. You lived on this planet where it hurt. It was lonely. But you lived on this planet where God left everything he had and came to save you. And because he did that, 
you get to come out of this rapid or you get to come out of this life with what? Glory. From what? From the adventure that you lived here on this earth. You know, we look at our pain and we think that our pain is, is meaningless. Look at Hebrews. Hebrews says some believed they, they would not even let themselves out of prison because they wanted a better resurrection. What kind of statement is that? The reason why they want out of prison because they want a better resurrection is because I am suffering with Christ, but as I'm suffering with Christ, there's going to be even a better day, and that day is going to be the resurrection because I suffered even with him. Every single pain that takes place in your life is a badge of glory inside the resurrection. Do you have the resurrection or have you rejected Christ? Everything has a purpose. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty four. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. With Christ, death cannot do anything to you. What do you mean death cannot do anything to you? When I was young, I got bit by a snake. And it was a gardener snake. But I will tell you, when you're young, every snake that exists is poisonous. That's just the way it is. So sure enough, I picked up the gardener's thing. He turned around and he bit me. And as he bit me, I went into the house crying and said, Mom, I'm going to die. Why? Because I got bit by a poisonous snake. She's like, I don't think there's any poisonous snakes in, in Oregon or at least in, back our, in our backyard. And um, so sure enough, I didn't die. I just got bit. What is death? Death is getting bit. That's what death is. You'll get bit. But there's something that happens after death, and that is poisonous in our system. So you get bit, and then all of a sudden poison goes into our system. But what is this poison? Let's give it in the verse. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Sting is talking about the poison. The sting of death is what? Sin. And the power of the sin is the law. You just see this whole gospel message right here in this passage. The sting of death is the sin that you have. You get bit when you die, but is that sting going to remain in you? Is that sin going to remain in you? And if that sin remains in you, the law, according to this verse, the power of the law is going to rise. And it's going to say, what? You are guilty. If it takes place, I'm bit. The poison is in me, but the power of the law is going to rise against me. The last part of the verse but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Sin is no longer there. Through what? The resurrection wipes it all away. So looking at this chapter, talk about the resurrection as we've talked about for four weeks. At the very end of the chapter, they give us, this is your challenge, this is your application. I'll give you a whole view of the resurrection and to sum the whole thing up, this is your application I want you to do to take away from this resurrection. And what is our application? Look at the last verse, number five. Stand firm in your faith of the resurrection. You're supposed to do one thing with the resurrection. Actually, there's going to be two things. There's going to be one more. But the first thing is to stand firm in the faith of your resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 is going to seal the entire chapter up. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. You see what happened? God died. God rose Stand firm on this one thing. Don't let anything move you. What can move you? Oh, my goodness, what cannot move you? Some of the negative things that move us is fear, anger, bitterness, loneliness. Those things, they they move us. They control us. They drive us. They send us. Other things that move us is wealth, power, fame, prosperity. Those things are, are good things, but they move us. They drive us. They send us. 
Other things is love, romance, obsessions. What happens is that we have a, a core being that is built for the purpose of worshiping God and the purpose of rising from the dead. And when that core being rises from the dead, it's going to look at Christ right in his face. What this passage is saying, live for that core being where that purpose is to rise from the dead because that's the reason why you exist. And when you rise from the dead, you're going to see God. All your sin is going to be removed, but all those things that are around you, don't touch, let them touch you. Don't let the anxiety, don't let the fear, don't let the wealth, don't let the power, don't let the fame, don't let the love, don't let anything else drive you except the core of why you're created. You're created to raise again. This is what's going to drive you. This is the one thing you want to stand firm into. This is the one thing you want to hold on to. This is the one thing that you want to send you. Stand firm in your faith, in your belief of that resurrection. Number six, the next part of the verse, always give yourself fully to the work of God. What am I supposed to do with this resurrection? I'm supposed to have faith in it, standing firm, and then I'm supposed to give myself away what? To it. I did a funeral on Friday. Delora Compton, she comes every Saturday night, an older lady. Every time she comes in, give her a big hug, sweet smile. Um, she's here for 10 months, and I just grew a relationship. Loved her. She sat in the back. She started moving up because her eyesight started fading until she became completely blind. And after she became completely blind, um, she could also struggle in hearing as well, so she moved up. And then what did I do? On Friday, I, I did the funeral. What are you doing? You're saying goodbye. You're saying there's tears that hurt. There's frustration that even takes place. Death is not natural. We're telling those people that death is not natural. Death is not the way that it should be. There is a hurt no matter what takes place, no matter what happens. did another funeral the week before. Uh, what happened week before? Somebody else passed away that was just way, way too young. And when you do these funerals, there is pain, there is hurt, there is loss, there's tears, there's frustration. And I would tell you, I'd never do a funeral again unless death was not swallowed up in victory. But since death is swallowed up in victory, I have a duty to proclaim it. And to proclaim it to every person that has the need, I've lost somebody, it hurts, and then I could walk up with excitement and say, yes, it does, but death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your sting? And oh, grave, where's your victory? And salvation is theirs. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Look what it says. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? The work of the Lord is to proclaim that there is a resurrection for every single person that is around you. The work of the Lord is to show everybody that that resurrection is alive and that it is available to show everybody that this is the way you make decisions, that this is the way that you speak, this is the way that you love, this is the way that you give, this is the way you serve, all in light of the resurrection is going to take place at the end for you because of the resurrection that took place with Christ after he's crucified. Look everything through the eyes specifically of that resurrection because that is the core that is inside you. They will rise to the dead as all these other distractions and sins will fall. will rise from the dead and look Christ right in the face. And when you look him in the face after your resurrection, 
what's going to happen? He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Therefore, live for what? The resurrection and the resurrection only. View everything in light of it. We are raised for that purpose. Therefore, do we live for it? Do we anticipate for it? Do we long for it? Do we share it? The resurrection is the tip of the sword of Scripture and is the tip of the sword of God's message because it puts everything, including the Bible, together with underneath that one message. We're going to have communion. Communion is going to take place. Yeah, there's going to be somber. Why? Because we're walking up and we're going to remember Christ's broken body, that my salvation was not free. A body had to have been broken, and Christ is the one that broke it. Christ's spilt blood would represent the juice. And then, as we're looking at that, we want to reflect what Christ has done to us. But then we're going to go back. And when we go back, do you know what's going to take place? We're going to worship. Why do we worship? We're going to worship because God's not dead. We're going to worship because there's a resurrection that followed after the brutal crucifixion on the cross. We're going to worship because our God is alive. Father, we just thank you, God, that there is an answer to this crazy world that we live in. God, uh, there's so much pain under Adam. There's so much hurt. There's so much frustration. God, as sin entangles us, God, we are moved by it. We are torn by it. We are sent by it, and we get frustrated and hurt and angry with it. But God, it's not the end. There is a you, God, who came to earth, who died, who rose, and you, God, who rose again. God, since you rose, God, we can have life and life fully. You can be alive, God, in this earth that is where there's so much sin, where there's so much pain and so much hurt. We can be alive no matter what our situation and circumstances are, God, because you rose from the dead. Thank you, God, for being with us. The resurrection makes that statement that you are, and we thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen.